0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Year, not you know. Obviously, you need to try it today, try it tomorrow, try it for a week, try it for a month. But this whole year, what are you going to base your peace on? And last week we talked about Paul discovering the secret of peace, and that's how he describes it. He says, "Look, I, I've discovered this secret of peace." And what he's saying is, you know, my peace, my ability to be in very difficult circumstances and not to crack. Well, that didn't come to be by my natural means. It's just not this, you know, this verbatim that I have. It, I actually learned how to have peace in every situation. Says so there's a secret to it, and I'm going to tell you how to find this secret. And Paul goes over three things in Philippians four. He says, "Look, you know, you need to think about your faith. The secret to peace is you need to think about joy, peace, patience." Uh, purity, what is right and what is wrong? You need to be able to start thinking theologically. You need to know what is right and what is wrong. He's very specific about this. He says, like, you need to you need to gear your mind to think about the good things that are in Scripture. And then he says something else that's completely counterintuitive to the way that we do life. He says you need to have a thankful attitude. Well, that's easy, Josh. You know, if you give me something, I'm going to thank you for it. But Paul says something very specific. He says, look, you need to give thanks before you receive. And we don't do that. That's counterintuitive. Why should I I thank you for that Christmas card that you didn't send me, Josh? And that is true. I did not send you a Christmas card. I have... 13 years of marriage, we've never sent Christmas cards out. Maybe next year, okay? But you wouldn't thank me. Maria's going to shoot me next year, so I can't wait. We, I know. Well, we have it scheduled for September. So, Anyway, but you aren't, you're not going to thank me for that Christmas card that I didn't send, are you? It doesn't make sense. But that's what Paul's saying. Look, I want you to thank me for stuff that, that I haven't given you yet. And why? Because when we approach God with that mindset... What we're really saying is, okay God, look, I'm gonna gonna put my confidence and my trust in you that you know what is best for me. Maybe the things that I'm praying for, you will give me. Maybe it's a bad idea that I get the things that I pray for. But regardless, I'm gonna thank you in advance for what you're going to bring into my life. And that is the secret to gaining peace because what we're really saying, look, God, I'm going to let you be in control. I'm going to let you be number one. And then the major concept, this major solution to solving the area of peace is Paul says, look, I have learned the secret to to peace when I am starving to death and when I have been been beaten up and I have nothing, and I've learned the secret of peace when I have everything. When people actually like me, and they think that I'm cool, and they, they, they invite me to come and speak at their church, and they give me money to do it. I have learned the secret to, to, to be in want, to be content when I have everything, and to be, be content when I have absolutely nothing. And the secret to this is, it's kind of like on the video that we watched, he has put his affections, his Attachments on Jesus alone. See, attachments, and, and the world knows this. This is the, this is the condition of the human uh, dilemma, is that we have attachments. That's what brings us pain. That's what initially brings us anxiety. The ancient philosophers knew this. The, the Stoics knew it. The Buddha knew, knew it. And he's like, if you begin to uh, attach yourself to the things of this world, if you love things, well, they can be taken away from you, can't they? You know, you're, you could lose your house someday. You can lose your relationships. You can lose your money. And if we have attachments to those things and we lose it, it destroys us. And Paul says, look, my attachment is to Christ alone. But then he says something that, that goes against what the Stoics said, what Buddha says. He says, look, materialism isn't bad. But if you have the priorities right, if you have the affections right, if you have the attachments and the right priority, uh, not only can you enjoy your house, you can enjoy your marriage and your relationships, you can enjoy objects, you can enjoy food, but everything's gonna be better when Jesus is first. Your food's gonna taste better. You're gonna enjoy your family more. You're gonna enjoy your relationships more. Colors will be more vibrant. You enjoy life better. That's the idea of living life to the full when our priorities are right. Think about, think about you know, rich people. They're extremely anxious about losing their money. They're paranoid about it. And when it's gone, they fall apart and you know, they'll jump off a bridge somewhere, right? You see, you see, see uh, stockbrokers do this. Jesus is saying, look, there's a better way. Paul discovered the secret. So those are the, that's the secret to uh, obtaining peace. And, and it's, it's, not, it's hard to do. It's a difficult thing to do. It's like solving a Rubik's Cube. Now, I'd venture that most everybody in this room uh, has experienced peace. Like that peace of God that transcends understanding. Like, you just knew it. You just felt it. Things were bad. You were in a dangerous situation. Like, you could have died, or you're not quite sure what happened, or but something happened. You were in the midst of a tragedy, and the peace of God that transcends understanding descended on you, and you knew that somebody was watching over you. For Even though everything was bad, you knew everything was going to be okay. What an incredible feeling that is, Right? That happens when we cross that line of faith. That is when we receive that gift that Jesus gives us, that that peace of God that I give you. And so um, it's an incredible sensation. It's an incredible feeling. But here's the thing, even though it's difficult to discover the secret of peace, it's like solving a puzzle, right? it's equally as difficult as guarding your peace and and protecting it and making sure that your peace isn't stolen from you. It's equally as difficult. I'm going to explain why. Before you were saved, before you came to faith, before you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you you had one major enemy in this world. And he was a big one. And it was God. But Romans tells us you know, the, the, that we, we, God was our enemy before we came into the fold of the family, that our mind was bent against God. So God was your enemy before you became a Christian, before you, before you stepped into the family of God. And, and God's kind of a, a, a rough enemy to have because he's out to get you. He's out to pursue you. He's going to hunt you down. C.S. Lewis calls God the hound of heaven. He's going to track you down like a bloodhound. He's going to get you eventually. And so once we've, we've uh, stepped across that line of faith, faith, we trade one enemy, which is God, which is, you know, kind of a big enemy to have, to another set of enemies. You actually get three enemies. And these enemies are bent on taking away that peace that transcends understanding. Here's the difficult part about where we are and how we approach God and how we ask for things that we want. Usually, when we're in a bad situation, we want answers. We want to understand. We say, God, why? Why am I experiencing this? Why am I in this bad situation? I I need answers right now. You need to explain some things to me. I want to understand my situation and why I'm in it. In order to understand that peace that transcends understanding, we have to give up our right to want to understand. You gotta give it up. You gotta say, okay, look, God, I don't understand and I'm gonna quit bugging you for answers. I'm just going to rest in that peace that transcends understanding. So, Again, when we cross that line of faith, our three enemies that we want to try and figure out, that we want to try to put into boxes, well, one is the world, the second one is your flesh, and the third is your devil. So when we, uh, again, as soon as we say, we, we change allegiances, we say, okay, I am no longer of the world, I'm going to serve God. It's like Switzerland saying, I'm no longer gonna become neutral I am going to join the Nazi party. And as soon as that happened, what, what if the Switzerland would have done that? We would have instantly have become their enemy. We would have boycotted their chocolate and their cheese or something, okay? They would have been our enemies. And, it's, and when, we, when we make peace with God, when we say, okay, God, I'm all in, you gain a set of enemies and they're, they're bent on destroying your peace. Here's the thing that they can't do. When you've been captured by the grace of God, when you've experienced that, that, that peace that transcends understanding, when you know deep down that everything is going to be okay, when you have the assurance of salvation, the devil can't take your soul Your spirit isn't going to be tormented in hell for eternity. You have that assurance of salvation. And he can't get you. And the only thing that the devil can do is he can make your life miserable on this planet by taking away your peace and joy. And I think the sad thing is about the Christian faith in America is that is happening. Christians are living a world full of anxiety and full of fear, and they don't know the power and the glory of God. They don't let God move in their lives. They, they are fragmented. They're shattered. The opposite of, The opposite of peace is anxiety, and the definition of anxiety is to be scattered into a million pieces at the same time. We, we can't put it all together. It's all on the floor. It makes no sense. We're overwhelmed and, we're, and it's, it's complicated. And Jesus is saying, Look, there's a solution to this. There's a solution to this. The world will come in and it will say, Oh, man, we lost one. Now, the world, the Bible talks about being in the world but not of the world, it talks about it quite a bit. But the world is a system, it's a mindset. It changes here and there, but pretty much it is a very specific mindset that says we can do humanity without God. Uh, secular humanism has basically designed its own religion to replace God. Secular is, is, the definition of that is basically right here, right now, what is present, the here and now. The, the world mindset says... There is no eternity. It actually laughs and mocks at the supernatural. So whenever you, 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 you're around circles and they, they, they begin to laugh at the afterlife or of things that are supernatural, there's like a little laughing. I mean, they can't argue it because you can't prove or disprove that there is eternal life. But what they, what they're, they don't, they're not comfortable with it. And the mindset says that, look, there is no eternal life. There's no eternal reward. There's no life after death. Everything, every decision that you do here, that you do now, it is for the here and now. So get what you can now before you die. That's what the world tells us. And then it feeds us. Turn on your TVs, right? Turn on your TVs. It feeds us an incredible amount of information of the things that we think that we need that will bring us peace and joy, but they don't. It is... You know, it's the media, it's entertainment, it's politics, it's, it's all these different si- world systems that offers a counterfeit piece, that offers something that we think that we need, but we, it really is out to hurt us. Uh, okay, let's see, who should I pick on, boys or girls? Boys, boys? <laughs> pick on boys? <laughs> all right. Um, the world tells boys that you have a limited time on the planet and you have to spread your seed around. Okay, you know these high school boys, right? They dated every single girl that they could possibly date. And maybe a part of it was sexual, but a big part of it was power, right? big part of it was power. And so the world tells boys, look, you need to... You need to get as many toys as you possibly can. You need to sleep with many women as you possibly can. I guess now you can sleep as many boys as you possibly can. But th- that's the point. Um, you can do whatever you want to do. You can fulfill the desires of your heart. And this is what the system says. It's okay. It's good. You do it. You get, you get as much as you can before you die. Uh, for girls, it's, kind of, it's similar. The girls are, you know, okay. Uh, if you want to have value in this society, you need to look a certain way, act a certain way, buy these products, and look pretty so that you can elevate yourself up into the higher rungs of society. That's initially what's behind the girl thing. And the next the next enemy that we have is our flesh, right? So the first is a world system. It's a mindset that's out to you know, assimilate us. The next one is a little more complicated because it is our flesh. And if our flesh is manifested, I mean, usually when preachers talk about the flesh, they're talking about sexual sin. Uh, that... That obviously is a part of it, but the flesh is actually deeper than that. Because what the flesh says is, okay, there's a world system out there that uh, is opposed to the eternal life. And then there is my flesh. And what my flesh initially says is, I want to be God. I call the shots. I make all the decisions. No one can tell me what to do. I want complete control. That is the enemy that we fight. It's an internal one. And you know that it's true, too, because we have cartoons about it, right? You have the, the, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, okay? The little red guy that's, you know, an image of you. That's, your, that's yourself. And it wants stuff. It basically boils down to selfishness. I'm gonna challenge you guys to do something in your quiet time, in your prayer life sometime this week, you need to ask an honest question to God. You need to say, God, am I selfish? And you know what he's going to say? Yep. <laughs> that gets down to the heart of it. We're selfish beings. And it, we have to be aware of it. Okay? I'm not saying that you, know, you need to delve into it and you need to beat yourself up. Oh, I'm such a selfish individual. You just need to be aware of it. A lot of your impulses, a lot of your drives are all selfish-based because you want to be in control. And when people, people lose their peace, even after they, they step across that line of faith, because they, f- they don't do the hard work of repenting of, of fleshly desires. Now again, I'm not saying that's sexual. That can, be man- that can manifest into other areas. Let's, talk, let's, let's pick on the boys again. The boy that wants to have power over every single person on the high school campus. He gets saved, and if he doesn't take care of his fleshly desires, it's going to manifest, it could even manifest into church, into that individual that wants to control everybody, that individual that wants to manipulate everybody, and he'll use the Bible to do it. It's it's your Uncle Bob at Thanksgiving, who is the self-proclaimed Bible scholar. He can't lead a Bible study on his own, but he can definitely tell you how to live your life, right? Right? and he's going to he will use guilt and fear to manipulate and to control you it's a it's an expression of flesh of fleshly desires sometimes when we're in church life and i don't know somebody they're they're in a worship session or the worship they're experiencing worship and they 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 make they miss the connection between worship and i'm just going to go to extreme like pole dancing or something like that, right? So somebody acts out in a way that is really provocative. And what we would say in church is, okay, that person is acting out in the flesh. They're not worshiping God. They want attention on themselves, right? This is is difficult to spot, but sometimes it happens. Well, the same thing can happen with the mind because the mind is part of the flesh. And we can be all super Bible study people. And again, that is more of an expression of flesh. If there's no love, if there's no tenderness. You know how you spot somebody that has a false piece or a counterfeit piece in church life? They're, they're cynical. They're sarcastic. They snipe at people. They tear people down. They look down their nose at other people. Maybe people that have been in the church for a long time, maybe people that just entered into the church, and like, they just look down at them. They're cynical. That is because they they have a false peace. Like, if I'm in control of situations and if I'm in control of environments, then I have peace. But see, that can be taken away too. They've laid their peace into the wrong thing. All right, now the third and the fun enemy that we have is the devil himself. See, the devil, well, when you were unsaved, when you were not working For God, when you were not in the family, when you stepped across that line of faith, he left you alone. He didn't care a thing about you. I don't know. Maybe you did experience some evil before you were saved, but it's probably stuff that you created on your own. He didn't care about you. He already had you. But as soon as you stepped across that line of faith, you got his attention, and he wants you. He wants to make you miserable. He's out to destroy that peace and that joy that God has given you. That's all that he, he can do. He know he can't get your soul. And so here's the interesting thing about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Usually churches and groups, like they'll just focus on one. But they all work integrally together. They all have this really tight symbiotic relationship. The world will say, you need to look pretty, and you're not anything unless you're pretty. And then your flesh will say, yeah, that's right, and I'm selfish, and so I'm going to get plastic surgery, and I'm going to buy the Bentley. I'm going to do all these things. And then the devil comes in behind that. The devil says, oh, ah, I thought you were a Christian. Christians don't act like that. Uh, if you were really good, you wouldn't think these thoughts or do these things. The devil says, hmm, you've been going to church for three or four years now. You ought to be further along than you are. And what the devil does is he takes what's in the world, and he takes what's in your flesh, and he amplifies it. I need to make something clear. There's there's only one guy that's in the, the red tights and has the pointy horns and the spiky tail. There's only one of those. And he doesn't care about you. Like he's after Justin Bieber or somebody. He doesn't care about you. You're you're not a big fish. I don't know, maybe you are a big fish. and I just don't know it. But there's only one, okay? And he's going to give his attention to somebody that's really important. But he has millions upon millions. We don't know how many. But he has demons. He has fallen angels that are under his control. And once you cross that line of faith, if he has enough, he will assign one to you. Here's the good news. There's a unlimited amount of angels, and our population keeps on growing. So, you know, you're, maybe, you know, that's, that's a silly thought. Um, but he, he will, he, he's out to use them to destroy your peace and to destroy your joy, to give you anxiety in your Christian life so that you're ineffective in serving God and ministering to your family and your friends, advancing the kingdom of God. That's what he wants to do. Now, You might not have a personal demon attached to you, right? Am I scaring you? Is this scary? Should I not talk about this? All right, Um, but there's his voice. Hmm? The devil, Satan, Lucifer, he has control of the airwaves. His voice is weaved into our airstreams. He's the principality of the air. And so we continually, we hear his voice and what Satan does is that he amplifies everything. And he's called the accuser. He's called, um, you, know, he, he's, you know, he's the one that, he's the liar. And he will take your sins and your failures that you committed in the world, that you're influenced by the world, and that you that fleshed out in your own flesh, that you act upon, that you acted on your own selfishness, and he amplifies it. He makes it big. He makes it louder. He makes it so loud in your head that you can't ignore it. That was his job before he fell. Did you know that? Satan, or Lucifer, he was the amplifier for all of creation's praise and glory to God. So creation was praising God, and it would get funneled into Lucifer and amplified. He was this angel of light that, re, that all, all creation's glory flowed through him, and amplified to God. So that's what he does now. That's his new job description. He takes all of your past sins and your failures and the ones that are still going on and he'll amplify them for they're nice and loud in your head and they're out to destroy your peace and to take away your identity in Christ. All right. How do we, how do we combat this? You know, before we had one major enemy, now we've got three And really, it seems daunting, doesn't it? It seems very difficult to overcome. Now, the scripture that Pastor read at the beginning, I want to look at it in detail because the answer is in there. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Well, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Did you get that? Okay, your enemy is the world, but as you respond to its attacks you don't wage war the same way it does it's at a certain mindset it has a certain way of thinking and if you fight fire with fire you will lose plain and simple i've seen it over and over again okay here's the here's the here's the answer the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary here we go They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Hmm? Strongholds, what are those? Those are those things in your life that you can't forget about. It's that sin you committed. God forgave you 15 years ago, but it still haunts you. It's a stronghold. He wants you free from it. That uh, insecurity that you have. Again, you, you got saved last year, but you're still insecure. You feel, you feel like you can't do it. You feel like you don't have the, the right skill set to, to pull it off. It's a stronghold. And it has to be overcome. It has to be destroyed. And the only way that strongholds in your life can be destroyed is through divine power. Not your power. Not the self-help book that you're going to get at Barnes & Noble, but a divine, supernatural power that comes in, intervenes, and destroys the strongholds. All right. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, so we, de- we demolish arguments and every pretension, pretension is again that selfish word. We we come in and we'll destroy and we'll demolish our own selfish pretensions. But the word before it, I want to look at it in detail. That is arguments, and it's a little weak in the NIV. Uh, I'll read it in a couple of different versions because it's very complex. In uh, the NA in the ASB, it says. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God. In the King James it says, we are casting down imaginations. So it uses imaginations instead of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself. The word is a, a logos mois is the Greek word for it. And it's a, it's a legal term. The, the, this legal term for an argument, it, it takes on the impression of an imagination. It takes on almost a personality of its own. And it's, it's systematic. It's, bit, it's an argument that is bit by bit by bit. It's slow, methodical, logical, and it's out to destroy your peace. The enemy of God rarely comes in and just blows your life up. He doesn't, that's not his strategy. The enemy of God will come in and he will argument you. He will give you imaginations. He will put inclinations in your mind bit by bit by bit by bit. And he's a master at doing it. It's like he's slowly rubbing on you. Rubbing on you, you don't necessarily feel it. It's not annoying enough for you to fight back. But it's just there, and it's it's the slow rub, and it comes. It comes in the form of a whisper, usually. Whenever you are struggling in your faith, the enemy of God will come in, and he will he will give you the argument. He'll give you the imagination, the inclination, the logos moist, and he will rub on you, and he'll whisper in your ear. He said, "You're just not a very good Christian, Josh." Because good Christians don't think this way. Good Christians don't act this way. You ought to be further along than you are right now. And here's the, here's the interesting thing about how the devil works. He will use truth and intertwine lies. Because maybe that is true. Maybe you're not where you're supposed to be. But you know what he wants to do? He wants to take the focus off of Jesus, and he wants to put it on to your sins. He wants you to spend more time worrying about what you're worrying about, fretting about what you're fretting about, uh, obsessing about your failures, spending more time on your sin than you are spending on your Savior. And if he can do that, if he can take your attention away from your Savior, he can steal your peace. He can steal your joy. He can breed anxiety into your life that's uncontrolled. All right. Then he goes on to say, You need to take every thought captive. You destroy these strongholds. You you come in, you wage war with divine power, you destroy strongholds. And here's the key, folks you take every thought captive. The enemy of God is going to, again, he's going to put these thoughts in your mind, and they have an element of truth, and then it's followed by a lie. And when the enemy of God begins to speak, you need to take the thought captive. Jesus' first miracle, arguably, is, uh, is when he turned the water into wine, right? You know this one. He didn't want to do that miracle. Mom made him do that miracle, right? You know, he's, he's they're at a wedding, and they ran out of wine, and, and, and mom says, Jesus, I want you to make some wine. She's like, I haven't done a miracle yet. I'm not going to do this parlor trick. I got, I, you know, I'm about the kingdom. And, and Mary says, I'm calling in my favor. You make the wine. It's like, oh, mom, really? And I don't know if Jesus talks like that. Probably not, but <laughs> so that was the first miracle. Now, the second miracle." Is, is actually one that we call,, you know, a spiritual warfare miracle, a, a kingdom-clash miracle. And, he, and Jesus walks in into a, a temple or a synagogue, and he's confronted by well, we just call it church, right? So Jesus walks into a church and he's confronted by, a, by somebody that's actually possessed by a demon, right? So Jesus' second miracle, or his first kingdom clash is with a, a, the demonic evil spirit. And this evil spirit says, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? O holy and anointed one, King of Israel. That's the evil spirit's first interaction with Jesus. You know how Jesus responds to that? He says, shut up, one word really. And it's a, it's a stranglehold on this thing. You see, the enemy of God will start uh, tearing down your peace and your joy with truth and flattery. And he'll appeal to your selfish side of things. And then he begins to, to tear you down after that. So Jesus is beginning to hear the flattery. He hears the truth. But he knows what's coming next, and he captures this thought. And again, the the image, the way that it comes across in the Greek, is he's strangling that sucker. And it's almost as if Jesus' spirit is coming out of his body, and he's grabbing that demonic spirit by the throat, and he's choking it up. It's like, it just choked him. So he can't talk no more. He's saying, shut up. Shut up. And Jesus captures the thought Before the enemy has a chance to continue to plant negative thoughts in his head. Because he knows who he is. He knows who's commissioned him. He knows what his purpose is. He knows where his peace comes from. He doesn't need to listen to that. But we do. And the devil is a chatty Cathy. He talks, 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 talks. A lot of it makes sense. But it's that stuff that's underlying. That stuff, that little negative backhanded compliment. That sniping that says you're just not good enough. You just need to give up now. His initial goal is for you to even question and doubt your own salvation. Long-term goal, destroy your peace so you're ineffective. You live in a world of anxiety. And if he can get you to think that, well, maybe I'm not saved, then he's got you. He's got you. The key to it. You need to capture every thought captive. The secret of peace is you think upon these things. Peace, joy, purity. What is right? What is wrong? You have a thankful heart before you get stuff. You know where your attachments are. Your affections are. what, What are your worldly attachments? It ought to be Jesus. And those thoughts, those imaginations that come in. You need to capture them. Here's the you know, what the context of this story is. You want to know who Paul is writing to? Here's the irony he's not writing against a bunch of pagan sinners, he's not writing to some people that, that don't know God. This whole section is Paul's defense, it is his argument. Is, he's I hate the word that use, justify, but he's got to establish his position as, as, an, as an apostle, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to a bunch of church folks. He calls them super apostles. And if you read the whole letter, you'll see that Paul has to defend his self and his actions. He's got to say stuff like, okay, you're right, you super apostles. I might not be the best public speaker in the world and I might not have the same education that you do, but I love these people. That's Paul's argument. I know you called me short and ugly. That, that's implied too if you continue reading the, 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 the story, but I love these people. And he says, and when I served them, I did it sacrificially. I didn't try and steal money out of them. There was Macedonia that helped me do this. They They provided my needs, so I don't I didn't. Wasn't manipulating these people. So he has to give a defense. He has to fight his own brothers. He has to combat this imagination. Here's the irony. It's like the devil was even using Christians to torment and break down Paul's peace. Does that make you feel good about joining church? I mean, it makes you ought to think, right? Have I ever been influenced by the enemy of God to discourage somebody else? Has gossip, has has, you know, I'm looking down my nose, snide remarks, bad kind of compliment, compliments. Have I ever done that in church? Oh. Forgive me, God. I was influenced by the accuser. Years ago, when I was in college, and it was a I just figured out it was a long time ago. Um, I went to Westmont Christian Liberal Arts College and one of the, uh, one of the Bible professors there was a well-known author. And uh, I was excited about being in this environment. I was very excited about it. And I come to find out that this individual didn't like my theology. In fact, anything that had to do with the supernatural, the healing of the sick, the laying on of hands, the the expression of the spiritual gifts, he didn't like it. And he had a lot of good biblical, I don't know, support for it, I guess. And I was really kind of disappointed because, wait a minute, I thought we were all on the same team here. Uh, I'm going into a Christian school, and I just thought, silly me, I thought when the Bible says that you will you will do these things and greater, I thought it meant it. I thought that I have been commissioned to pray for the sick and raise the dead and, you know, see signs and wonders in this time. And this guy says, "No, those things stopped." Those things stopped when we got the Bible. The Bible's good enough. That's all you need. You don't need signs and wonders to support the scripture. I guess I mean if that's true, then I guess, I don't know, the world ought to be a better place. I'm not quite sure how I felt about that, but here's the point. The point is, this is somebody that I respected, somebody that I looked up to, somebody that had an authority over me, and in my mind, it's like I almost had his face saying, you're crazy. You're, you're a part of a cult. You know, if you were really a student of the word, you wouldn't think this crazy stuff, That's an imagination. That's an argument. That's something that wants to pull in doubt and fear, something that will question myself. And maybe you have that on you too. Maybe there's that voice or that face or that, that word that you keep on hearing that keeps on coming back and coming back and coming back and you've been walking for the Lord for a long time and it says, you know what, you're just not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not a student of the word. You don't really believe all this stuff. It's all myth, right? And I want you to know, you can cast down that stronghold today. You can strangle off that sucker. You can tell it to shut up, and it will. I'm not saying that it will resurface. I'm not saying that it's, it's face or the, the voice will come back into your mind someday. But I'm telling you, you have the power to overcome it. You have the power to overcome that thought. You can have victory over that. You can't steal your peace if you don't let it. I have the band and the ushers to come to the front. As they're on their way, I'm gonna send you home with a couple other thoughts. The flesh, we're selfish. The Bible says our heart's desperately wicked. Look, if you're struggling with anxiety and peace in your life, you've you got to start preaching the gospel to yourself. You need to start telling yourself the good news. You can hear it from me on Sunday, maybe on Wednesday, but start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself as often as you can. If you're bored with the gospel message, you don't understand the gospel message. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper. David got it figured out. In Psalms 42, he says, heart or soul, what's the matter with you? Why are you, dis- why are you disquieted, oh, my soul? But he's, saying, he's talking to himself. He said, why, self, why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? And part of our anxiety comes from the fact that we're listening to our heart and not talking to our heart and telling our heart how to be, not telling our heart who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just thank you so much that you paid it all. Now, you paid it all so that we could put our trust into an eternal security that is unmoving, unchangeable, unbreakable, that it's completely secure. We know that our relationships could fall apart, we know that we could lose our house, we know that we could lose our money, and God, that's okay, because we have you. We have that peace that transcends understanding. God, for those that are dealing with the anxieties of life, God, we, we've put our value into things, and now that we're losing these things, we're, we're insecure, we're paranoid, and we're freaking out. God, I pray that you would give us that peace, God, that you will, you will tell us, you will show us to think about these things, things that are pure, things that are right, things that are just, things that are lovely. And when the enemy of God gives us that whisper in our, vo- in our head that says, you does not get enough, you blow it way too often, God, I pray that we will strangle that sucker off, that we will cast down that stronghold, and that we will believe in your grace and goodness in our lives. We pray this power unto us in your name. Amen.